Wow, one of my favorite songs. I don't know about you, but I can tell you my original plan was to ask you to turn in your Bibles and to start right off the bat and pray in a little bit, but let's just humble our hearts now before this great God that we serve. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, every word we just sang is absolutely true and We want to thank you for for being you and for calling us into your family and to even have a relationship with you where your spirit echoes our own spirit as we look forward to that day when we can stand in your presence and sing not only songs like this but greater ones. We just pray in the best way we know how that, that you would continue this work on our life, that more and more these moments we share as we worship you would be experienced in our lives each day, this confidence that we have in you and your work in our lives would be realized in, in real ways throughout our days, even this week and the week to come, if you give that to us. And we come before you now just ask, would you work in our lives? Would your spirit apply your word to our hearts this morning? And would you open our eyes to areas that you're already at work, uh, strengthening, molding, and, sh- and shifting to be more in line with what you would have for us. And we just ask that now and pray that you would do that now in your son's name. Amen. We do serve a wonderful God. I'd ask you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be there almost exclusively through this, this time together. And I, I just got to say that the, the weight of what I'm looking and hoping to be able to do with all of you this morning is significant in consideration that the, the time that we have. So I'd ask you to kind of hold on with us because we're looking to walk through the whole of Philippians chapter 3, and that's no small task. And, and also, uh, as we look to these things, hopefully connect a couple of key aspects this morning. And, and I had intended to, to structure things a little different uh, weeks and weeks ago when we were first thinking about what would be appropriate here this morning, but this morning I'd really like to just focus on a couple things. I'd really like to demonstrate, and I'm the the pastor of family ministries here at First Baptist Church in Johnson City, and and I just want to demonstrate how family ministries is just church ministry. And we got a lot of programs and a lot of things in various places and various churches in various ways, and we still have some programs here as well, but as we look at what God has called us to as a church, Family ministries is just church ministry. It's discipleship in the family of God. And every single one of us is a part of that, one way or the other, called to it. And we all need to be a part of that. And so as we look at Philippians chapter 3, I want you to be thinking through, if you look at those notes, I hope that you grabbed on the way in, you'll see on the back some stuff about family ministries and, and just what that looks like. And on the front with those that we'll get to at the end, don't worry, we'll get through most of the message before we fill in the rest of the blanks at the bottom. You'll see those three words, equip, assist, and come alongside. That's, that's what all of us should be doing and are experiencing within the ministry here. You know, family ministries, if you look at the back, is focused on certainly equipping parents and guardians and being able to disciple children, evangelize children, assisting in various ways as they look to work in that discipleship process, as we have teachers and programs here to help that. Each one of us 
I pray, coming alongside one another, not just a part of family ministries or families that are bringing kids here, tough situations, good situations, but across the board, it's, it's church ministry. And as we think through all of that this morning, you know, the need to just soak in the text, I think, is, is primary. And like I said, I had plans on looking at this and looking at that and what God's word says here, but, but really just coming to Philippians chapter 3, realizing that, that we need to soak in this. And we need to respond to his appeal. If you were to look at this, and I hope that, that it'll be clear, Paul's central statement is an appeal to us. This one thing I do. My question this morning is, what is that one thing that I do? The one focus of, of my life. You see, we need to be embracing the truth that God has purpose in this process of growth because honestly, the things that pull on our hearts away from what Paul says here, the things that fight against the one thing I want to do, the one thing that I know I should do, in the moment while we're singing and we're confident that God is on the throne and he is at work and he's got this, it so quickly changes as we're pulled away in our hearts to other things and other focuses by the daily day, the grind, the trials. You know, as we look at all of this this morning, I really hope that we can walk away from all of these things and, and responding to Paul's appeal have that same kind of conviction that God by his grace, would work through our lives in the coming week, in the coming month. And as we look at this, I I want to be confident that Paul's main point here is our takeaway. And if you have those notes that you grabbed, I hope, on the way in, the first couple of blanks you can fill in is, listen, God's got purpose in this process. Now, we know that, and and maybe you saw the title of this. We're not there yet, and, and we've all heard this, especially if we've been sitting in church for any length of time. And I'm not going to be sharing with you anything new this morning. But I hope that as we walk through Philippians chapter 3, you'll understand nuances of Paul's heart when he comes to this. God's got a purpose for all of this. Remember, he's in jail. He's in prison as he writes this. He's sending back Epaphroditus who was just saved from an illness leading to death as a messenger between Philippi and his imprisonment. There's a lot of people that are looking to hurt and harm Paul, even in the name of the Lord, preaching gospel that would somehow shame Paul and his ineffectiveness as a preacher of the gospel. We're not really sure. If you read all the Philippians, and it's not too long, I think you'll see where, where Paul's coming from. And, and chapter 3 is kind of like in the middle of this where he's sharing his heart and he's appealing to them to continue to persevere in a certain manner. And, and, and as we look at that, I think that'll be encouraging. You see, life stinks. I hate to be the bearer of bad news for those young ones. For those of us that have walked through life a little bit, we know it's, it's, it's hard. And it's hard in a lot of ways. We keep coming up short. The longer we live, the more things are taken from us. The more clearly we see our own struggles, the more clearly our weaknesses are shown to be what they are. And there's no solutions here. 
You know, we try to adjust. We try to change ourselves. This is a few weeks into our new year, and I think it's healthy to look back and ask, how would we do? I hope we do that prayerfully. Lord, what, what would you have me do this year? How, how would you have me grow this year? I hope that's what it is. Here we are a few weeks, and of course, you know, inclined to ask, how's that going? How is that going a few weeks in? to 2023 and sometimes we get to the place where maybe we've struggled and we've struggled and we're just tired i mean at every level maybe to the point of being done but you know you can't quit when you say stuff like this god has purpose in the process brother it can sound a little hollow paul says listen i've been through it let me tell you it's not hollow You know, God could have made us perfect. You know, our own weaknesses are some of our greatest sorrows. We want to please God. If you're a believer and you truly are trusting Christ as your Savior, you love Him. Even though you've never seen Him, it breaks our heart when we know we fall short. Aren't you, aren't you tired? You know, God could have made us perfect when we got saved. He didn't. Why? We're going to be perfect one day. He could have made this a whole lot easier. You know, God promises good for us that are called according to his purpose. Every single thing. Only an eternal sovereign God could promise something like that. Could he really accomplish these great things in our life apart from the pain and sorrow and the hurt? You know, the logic would follow that if he's promised good in everything... The answer would be there's no better way than what he's doing. That's hard. You know, in the middle of it all, it can be pretty discouraging. And we follow after the things of the world to try and help ourselves. We can distract ourselves. We can medicate ourselves. We can tell ourselves things that kind of help, at least we think will help for a little while. But the world itself is caught in despair, passionless, struggling. We're more medicated now than ever. The the studies reveal more and more, even in America, where we have more than ever, where we do more than ever, people are taking their lives more than ever. It's more pointless than ever. And we get pulled into this. As believers often. And what's interesting is that even as the world struggles with these things, some basics still come back to biblical truth. The basics of how God created us to work haven't changed. An example of that would be Patricia Chen, and she's professor of psychology at the University of Texas in Austin. She examined in this PhD analysis of different mindsets about passion and despair, loss of passion, burnout, depression. And most of the time, we break down into two main groups, whether we just don't think we found the right fit. Do you hear that ever in marriage? Just don't know if he was the one, she was the one. Churches, I don't know if this church is the one. That church is the one. It's that fit mentality. This job, this career, this child... Was I supposed to have this child? I don't think this was the one. 
The others is the growth mindset, right? Which is definitely more positive. And that is, I just haven't got there yet. You know, the problem with this one is that if you've been on this, and this is good, God's called us to growth, right? But if you're doing it apart from him, you get down the path where you realize, I don't know if I can. Because I haven't. I don't, this is not, this is not working. I can't keep telling myself it's going to work more next year because it hasn't this year. But these are where we usually find our answers. Need to do better being happy. Need to do better. I'll just grow in this. They've, interestingly, kind of highlighted five common strategies that people found helpful. Interesting because it lines up with some key aspects we know that God is calling us to in our daily walk with him. Recognizing personal relevance. Do I matter? Recognizing societal relevance. Does any of this matter? Right? Building familiarity. You know, acquiring new knowledge. Getting to understand situations better. Gaining practical experience. You know, these are practical things, but the heart of it, what's the heart of what they found? This is humanly speaking. Apart from God, how do we make this better for ourselves? The the heart of it is some sense of meaning and direction and outcome and impact. This is providing self-purpose. The worst thing is, is that we know this book. And we would even say, if I were to ask, yes, I know God's got a purpose, but boy, we struggle living that. It's like it takes decades to root that in our heart where our confidence is like what we see here with Paul in Philippians chapter 3. When we think about needing direction and outcome, how often, if we were to be honest this morning, do we not look to God first? And this is an aspect of our own personal growth. You see, what happens is is a lot of tips and tricks in the world. And God is calling us to be transformed. You're not going to be who you were. This isn't just a gimmick to help yourself feel better. Self-talk. To talk yourself into a different experience of your circumstances. Now, is it good to have positively reflected thoughts? Yeah, look at Philippians chapter 4. Keep reading. He talks about that. But this is so much bigger than just tips and tricks there's not going to be enough and if you've gotten there in life where you realize there isn't or maybe you just started the journey either way the truth remains transformation is the only solution you know we've been watching as a family forged in fire and i'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the show but it's where a whole bunch of different guys that make knives and stuff in various places come and they compete and they're given crazy things they have to make into a knife or, or something and it's interesting because you see them use different techniques and you see them use different machines, but the principles remain the same. The material has to be bound together. It has to be heated. It has to be forged into a shape. And then it has to be heated and it has to be hardened. And then it has to be sharpened and it has to be refined. You know, apart from this process, you don't end up with the result. And there's no shortcuts, there's no workarounds. And if you try, as some do, they fail. It doesn't hold up. And what's interesting is I look at those processes, I realize there's so many carryovers to the church. 
You know, the shop has a lot of different machines in it. We have different programs. And they form and they shape and they do different things. But the principles remain the same. And God is at work through all of it. And I don't know if you felt like this in life yet, but, you know, they have a couple of sayings. Heat, beat, and repeat. Sometimes life feels like that. They heat up the metal, they beat it in the shape, and then they just do it over. And it's like, man, I've been in that my past couple of years. But you've got to harden that. And the reason why I think that's so important is the hardening process of the metal you can't see. And maybe in this world you can shape yourself in various ways, but apart from the furnace of God's transforming us, who we are, what makes us up, that individual crystal inside, that granular structure inside the steel, it still just remains soft and not enough. Apart from that forging work of God through these many things, When we look at this statement, God has purpose, that part about God having purpose is so important. We can't form ourselves. Apart from his work, we can't be transformed. The best is tricks and tips. And you know what's encouraging with all of this is that when we look at this process, this is all of us. And when you read this book, you realize it's, it's, it's honest. Paul is honest, which is encouraging to me because I'm not Paul. I'm nowhere near Paul. As far as I can measure, I am way below where Paul was as God worked his grace through him. And Paul says, this is me. We can get into the, the harness together and say to one another, listen, we're all growing I can tell you right now this morning, I am growing in the grace and the knowledge of of the Lord. And that's a personal thing, a transforming thing. Paul was too. And if Paul was growing, well, I'd be pretty hard-pressed with a straight face to be able to say, oh, no, I got this. How often do we do that, though? Now, I'll I'll take care of this. I think I'm doing pretty good. So this morning, as we look at all of these things... I want to focus on the fact that Paul's main appeal here, and you see this in your notes, I hope they're there in front of you, is in Philippians chapter 3, 13 through 15. And while we would really like all the chapters to fall right at the end of the discourse where it should probably, it goes all the way down to verse 1 of chapter 4 as well. And so as we look at that this morning, I hope you can do so in your Bible as, as well. We see in Philippians 3, 13, brothers... I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straying forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And in chapter 4, verse 1, he comes back to this. And he says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. But before we get into how these verses direct us this morning, let's just walk through the chapter. Would you do that with me? We're going to start all the way up in verse 1. Just walk through the chapter, and I'm sure it'll put us in in view more clearly. So starting in verse 1, 
We read, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. I just want to say that joy is a heart test. If we're in a place where we're feeling anxiety and fear, anger, despair, you can look at Philippians chapter 4 for some instruction on that as well in regards to our hearts and how to respond to that. But joy is a heart test. Where is our focus? That's a command. He actually talks quite a bit about joy between verse chapter 3 and chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord, focused on our God, not the circumstances. We can't rejoice in our circumstances many times. As he continues, to write the same thing to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. What, is it, what does that mean? We need to hear these things. And, and while I'm saying things that I'm sure we've all heard before, we need to hear these things over and over and over again. And what he's saying here is it protects you, it's safe for you, it guards you as you hear and think through these things as the Spirit applies it to our hearts and lives every time we interact with the truth. Verse 2, look out for the dogs. Now this is a very pejorative term in the first century. Not like little fluffy we have at home that we love and adore and let it lick our face and sleep with us in our beds. That was not the first century experience with dogs, okay? They were wild. They were considered unclean, nasty, street-dwelling animals. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And this would be the same group in Galatians chapter 5, verse 12, if you want to go and look at that on your own. But Paul minces no words. Those, those that would come behind him and say, no, the grace of God is enough through Christ. You need to have Jesus and the law, you need to follow the law and get circumcised and go through all those traditional things required by the law. Galatians chapter 5, verse 12. He's pretty brutal. He's very angry that they would come along and pray on those that were discouraged or ignorant. He said, I wish they would just cut themselves off. How dare they muddle the waters of grace through Christ alone? He goes on in verse 3, For we are the circumcision who worship this by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. You know, these are strong words. We run over them very quickly. How often do we put confidence in the flesh? Because it's easy to say this. Yes, that's me. I believe in Jesus Christ. I put no confidence in the flesh. For me, the first thing I hear my voice is that question, well, do I really? This is strong. And notice how the contrast here of, of worship opposed to this confidence in the flesh. And, and what does he mean by this? Yes, there's an aspect where there's the physical outward elements here, right? But ultimately, this has to do with personal volition and ability apart from God. This is self. Okay, so God's got this. Now I've got to have this for the equation to work. He's saying absolutely not. God's got this. God's got this. That's why we do this. See, that's a nuance. No confidence in the flesh. How many times we hear even messages behind well-intentioned pulpits saying, we got to do better, guys. Well, yes, if it starts with submission first. If it starts with self, he's saying that's, something to guard against and comes in many forms and he says in verse four you want to use me as a poster child he says listen 
Although I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, even more than anybody else. This outward system of earning God's favor. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he goes on to line out under the law, verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Notice what he's saying. He's saying from birth on, focused on human efforts and human accomplishments. And don't miss the fact that this was all in God's name, under the law. In fact, some would even say, well, wasn't he doing what God told him to do as a Jew under the law, even in that time that he was raised? Yes, but very distant in heart. That was never God's will. The law was to bring men to the need for forgiveness and grace, knowing that none of us are able to do it on ourselves. He did it out of pride and self-sufficiency. He's like, I've done this. This is kind of like Ecclesiastes listening to Solomon say, you want to talk about riches? I had them. You want to talk about accomplishments? I had those too. You want to talk about wisdom and pursuits and all of these things? I, I did it all. Paul is saying the same thing here. He's like, if you want to go down that road, I can tell you it's empty. Notice what he says in verse 7. This is where things get really interesting. Whatever gain. That, that's, that's a very interesting word. It means earned fruit. Earned profit. Earned reward. So we say, what did I get out of all that? What did I earn from all of that? Whatever I gained, verse 7, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now this word counted is also very interesting. This is that intellectual process to evaluate and determine when he had all the facts in front of him he said all of this on one side and christ and grace and truth on the other and i looked at the two of them and i realized reality i came to the conclusion that this was loss i counted it as loss for the sake of christ In fact, all through Philippians, you see this process of thinking over and over and over again. I am confident that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. That is in chapter 1. And it is right for me to think of this, of you, all the way through. So as he looks at this reality of both sides. He says, I I determined that this was loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. And this word loss in our word, in our um, language is kind of like this passive idea. It's kind of like I lost my keys. I lost my car in the parking lot without the little doodad on on the antenna. That's not what he's talking about. And this is fascinating because this aspect of loss is tied to punishment. It's tied to suffering. It's tied to suffering hardship as a result of of heavy loss, a disadvantage. What he's saying here is I realized that all of this wasn't just this neutral world of not as good as Christ. Sometimes we live in this as Christians, don't we? 
I'm trying to live in this neutrality of not being bad and making it where I'm at. That's not the sense of loss. He's saying, I realized that this was actually hurting me and dragging me away from the benefits of grace in Christ. It was taking away from the very thing. It was, it was damaging me every moment that I was doing this in my flesh and every moment that I was doing this on my own. I was robbed of all that I could have and I was being hurt and harmed in the process. Do we see walking after the course of the world so clearly? I think sometime we get to that point where all of a sudden the light goes on. I think he almost says that. I realized, I decided, I counted it as loss. Whatever gain I had was nothing compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You know, it puts knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, in a whole new light when we think of it like that. Sometimes we take those words lightly. What he's saying here is every step taken, working and trusting that takes us farther away from Christ actively compounds our own suffering and hurt. There's only one answer. Notice what it says. For his sake, that I may be able to know him, that I may be able to have his work in my life, I say absolutely no to everything else. I suffered a loss of it gladly. So he turns that phrase again. Not only was it causing me loss, but I'm happy to be rid of it. But the opposite, that I may gain Christ. And I count, notice that decision again in the mind. I count them as rubbish. Why? In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And this is two parts. One, that I might have him. And two, that I might be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see, it's, we know this. This is a gospel, right? We realize more and more as we grow in our knowledge of Christ that it impacts every part of our life. It really is a righteousness that comes through God that we don't earn. We struggle with that. We, we really do struggle with that. Now, this is positional. This is an aspect where God sees us and accepts us through Christ, being right with God simply because of what he has done. Though we're still wrong and sinful and struggling and imperfect. And that's the part that we struggle with, right? How can he continue to just accept me the way... How can I not just be better? Why can't I just do this the way I want to? And Paul talks about that also. Oh, how the flesh wars against the spirit in Galatians. And the spirit against the flesh because the two are contrary to one another. God has a purpose in this process. Understand, he's allowed us this struggle that we would grasp and hold on to him that much tighter, realizing the choice more clearly through the whole process. Verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Has anyone read this and been like, I'm not sure, I've read this before and I'm just not sure what he's talking about here. You see, we get so hung up on the fact that he talks about later being raised Finally, and as you get older and your body starts falling apart, and I'm a young guy, I'm going to say that right now, okay? 
That bodily resurrection is a sweet promise. It is a sweet promise. Knowing that all those that have gone before us in Christ, bodily, we will be with in glory. It, It is a sweet promise. But understand, there is so much more accomplished in the resurrection of Christ than just the bodily expectation that we will follow one day. Understand that when we accepted Christ as our Savior, we were raised from the dead spiritually. You are not dead spiritually. You are made alive in Christ. This transforming work of God in our hearts and lives is because of the finished work of Christ, not just on the cross, but out of that grave. The power of the resurrection of Christ is at work in us as we grow more and more into the very image of his Son. Oh, and yes, in the last day we get that too. I think we forget the central aspect of this. To know him and to be found in him is right now. And certainly in the future, verse 11. How can we be transformed apart from the power of Christ working in and through us? Paul says, I need him. And I want him to change me. And it's his life that forms mine. Nothing else. Singularity of focus. And yes, as you continue to read, may share in his sufferings. Any who seeks to walk godly in this life will face persecution. Share in his sufferings. There's absolutely nothing, including death itself, that God calls us to that Christ did not first walk through. He suffered far greater than anything we'd ever be called to face. And as we face whatever it is he calls us to, we know that he is right by our side. Would you just turn over to Philippians 2? I don't know about you, but it's just a page back for me. This is the context here. I think sometimes we forget how important all of it is together. I love this in verse 5. Have this mind, notice the thinking again, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Sharing in the sufferings of Christ is hard when it's humiliating, humbling service. It's hard when it costs and it hurts. We really struggle with it. It's easy to read. It's hard to live. And part of this growth process, even in a church, is realizing it stinks to be a servant sometimes. But know that as we look to serve others, as we are looking to serve God, we find ourselves right beside Christ. Have this same mind among you as that was also in Christ. Notice the end. This is the other side of the forged in fire. This is when the blade is tested and shown to be what it is. And held up to be truly the product of all that God intended as, the form, as he formed it and as he made it. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus every knee should bow 
in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess. Listen, the fact that God would share his glory through Christ as we're in him in heaven is something I don't think we fully appreciate. But it comes through service. It comes through suffering. It comes through this process that God has preordained and promised good through it all and in it all. You know, it's a great blessing to be a servant, but it's hard. Verse 11, notice what he says. In all of this, this is my goal, chapter 3, verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead, standing there in his presence, exactly what God sought to accomplish in my life. And he goes on to say, listen, not, not that I have already obtained or that I am already perfect. He says, but I press on to make it my own. And what he's talking about here is all of it. That end day, that resurrection, that day when we stand before him and God shares all that he's done through this whole process as much as every day along the way as we experience what really trusting God does in our life. The peace, the joy that we can have despite the ceiling coming down around our ears, metaphorically speaking. All of it. And why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What wonderful words to rest in. He's the one who's chosen me. He's the one who's redeemed me. He's the one who's at work in my life. He's the one who's promised good even through my weakness and failure. He's the one who is working even as I sit and contemplate his working. Beyond our understanding, he has done this. And this is that same dissonance in our hearts as he pulls us back away from the things of this world and calls us again to himself that continued work. Notice what it says in verse 13. Brothers, part of this family, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but I do this one thing, forgetting what lays behind. And this is similar to in James, where he talks about how a man who looks at Scripture and doesn't do what it says is just like one who looks at the mirror, forgetting it goes and turns away and does nothing. It's, it's putting it out of your mind, not just a casual thing, but it's, it's putting it out of your mind as something that no longer matters. Indifferent to it. Not consequential. Not worthy to be considered or acted upon. He says, I do this one thing, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward, which is just exerting and stretching to grab a hold of something. To what lays ahead. Notice that. What lays ahead versus holding on to the past. I press. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. Notice what it says. This is a command. Let us who are mature think this way. You know, the implication is if I don't think this way, I'm not mature. Well, the truth is we're all growing. That's the command, right? He's saying those of us that are mature in Christ should have this mindset. Notice the tie to chapter 2. Have this mind in you that was also in Christ, right? There's a theme through Philippians. But this is inclusive command. It's like a battle cry. Not just you go and do it and not just I'm going to go and do it, but he's saying let's charge that hill and raising the sword, so to speak. We need to have this in mind. And I love this. If anything... That you think otherwise, 
God will reveal that also to you. I just want to ask, areas in your life that maybe you're holding on to, maybe those areas in your life that as we've read through this, the Spirit has kind of pricked your heart, it's it's true. The things that distract us from the one thing I'm focused on in life is, is laying hold of, of what God has for me and, and committing to grow as he's called me to. Those distractions. And Paul's saying he'll, he'll reveal it to you. And I pray that he does. And I'm going to ask this morning, if that's true, what are those things? Don't casually brush off the work of the Spirit. We can't run from them. They'll be there tomorrow. Only let us hold true, verse 16, to what we have attained. We're still moving forward. We're not going back. Understand that. Join in imitating me. And this is similar, he says in verse 17, to something he says in 1 Corinthians 11. As he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And he goes on with this imitation. He says, listen, keep your eyes on those who walk according to this example that you have in us. You know, in this world, a good question is, who are we following? Who are we looking to? Who are we filling our days with? He goes on to say, verse 18, For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross. Don't follow negative examples. Those not with Christ. He warns those, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they they glory in, in their shame with minds set on earthly things. We're called to cling to the cross and look ahead to heavenly things. Verse 20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven. From it we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And then in that conclusion in verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And as we look at this thus, stand firm thus, what is he talking about? Well, he's going all the way back, all of it, in this manner, according to what he's already said, what he's already spoken. Rejoicing in the Lord, verse 1. And he repeats that in chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Joy is a test for our heart. It really is. Where our trust is, where our faith is. He's talking about being rooted in nothing less than Christ, in so many things. You know, I could have put a lot of other things up there as they're coming to mind. They're like, wait a minute. No, nothing but Christ. Not self, not ceremony, nothing. And what he notices, or I'm sorry, what he points out is the need to reject those who are leading us otherwise. If it's anything less than Christ, then I'm sorry, I'm not interested. And in our own flesh, our own patterns of self-dependence, correct those. Needing regular growth. And I'm not sure any of us would say, no, I don't want to grow. Sometimes we may get there and say, I'm fine the way I am. I don't want anything different. I sure hope we don't stay there. But what he's saying is that we, we need to be careful not to be captured by our failures, captured by our weaknesses, but that we would look past the past and focus 
on what God is doing. The fact that Christ has made us his own, has made me his own. I am his. And that's the primary thing that matters. Isn't it amazing to think that he works through our brokenness? That we are literally walking images of his grace even through our growth? Only a great God can work good through my failings, can work good through my weaknesses. That's the kind of God we serve. Humbling ourselves, be able to say, just do your work. Do your work. Help me to keep growing and knowing that we're not alone in this. All of it. He's like, walk thus, stand in the Lord in this manner. We have relationships on the same path, imitating Paul, keeping our eyes on Christ and on those that are pursuing him, being very careful about who we're spending and encouraging one another with. Those relationships are central and hopefully central here in the church. And as we think about all of this, I don't know about you, but I ask, okay, how? How do we do this? How can I know this? What are those four or five main things that, that I know God has called me to? What's this process? And, and then thinking about process, as we look at growth, as we look at perseverance, as we look at discipleship, as we realize that ministry, equipping and assisting and coming alongside us, every aspect of our growth, that it should be every aspect of our ministry here at church, not just with families, but across the board. And yes, it impacts families greatly. I think as we look through these things, I'd ask you to fill in some of those blanks. This is personal. I can't do this without the word. I need the word. I have got to have the word in my life every day. Certainly in church, certainly in our programs, our conversations as we spend time together on our own every single day as we look to him, hiding it away in our heart that the spirit would, would not only remind us of it, but give us opportunity to share it with others. We talk about equipping, assisting, and coming alongside. It's bathed in the word. Paul says, it's not a bother for me to write this to you. It is safe for you. It guards you. Verse 1. No matter the age, no matter the stage, as investors and recipients, I need the word. I hope that's this year. I hope that that's a life pattern for us. Also, to be honest, personally, I need to guard against the flesh. This is a constant pull. The world is nothing but the flesh. It's all they have. Systems and sadly even churches pulled in this direction where it's more and more about us and less and less about Christ and our own hearts as we look for ways to do it ourselves. I don't know why you do this. Why is it so hard to humble our heart before the Lord and just say, like we did the moment we accepted Christ as our Savior, would you just take me? Would you just make me? Would you just be at work? We've got to guard against the flesh. And you notice here in your notes, Jeremiah 17, 9. I'm sure glad it's not just 9. And it's, it's chapter, I'm sorry, it's verse 10 as well. You guys probably know this. 
The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. As we ask ourselves, am I trusting in the flesh? You realize very quickly, oh, it just seeps in in every way. It's constantly asking the Lord, would you help me? It goes on to say, who can understand it? That's verse 9. I love verse 10. God says, I do. I do. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. To give everyone according to his ways, according to the fruits of his deeds. And Jesus says in John, anyone who comes to me, I will in no way cast out. Anyone who comes to me, I will receive. James says, draw close to him and he will draw close to us. So when we're wrestling with the heart, we just come before the Lord and say, Lord, again, would you take me? I'm forgetting what lay behind I need forward focus. How often do we allow our flesh, maybe Satan himself whispering in your ear, and every other reason that allows the past, maybe even the moment, to define the future because we aren't willing to let it go, get right with the Lord, and say, I'm pressing on. I'm pressing on. And yeah, maybe you really blew it. Maybe it's really bad. But if we don't get that step forward first, it'll stay that way. And the sad thing is it won't change unless something does. I need to focus forward. I need to look ahead no matter how bad it gets and say there's, as Pastor Jim says, there's a better day coming. There's a better day coming. And you know what? I can't do this alone. I'm so glad I don't have to. You know, my family is so thankful to be here, a part of this church family. I need the family of God in my life. I need these relationships. We're going to a hockey game. I hope you would come with us and we can spend time together, some time with one another, all these things that we do, realizing I need to be a part of that. And not just be a part of it, but to be an investor in it. These relationships are central. God has called the church, has called every single one of us a part of this process. He's got purpose in it. There's a bunch of questions there on the bottom of your notes. I'd ask you to think through those. We don't have time to dwell on each one this morning. But the first one is the most important. Am I in Christ? You see, because this isn't just another list of tips and tricks and religiosity. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have not asked him to receive you, maybe you've known about it. If you haven't humbled yourself to ask him for that and admit your need, you're not in Christ. And none of this means anything. But those of us that are, can confirm, yes, I am. I'm his. He has laid hold of me. I am his. That is so important to start. Because as we ask the rest of these questions, where's my focus in the process? I can have confidence there's a process. And I can realign my focus. When I ask myself, what's my general focus? You know, where am I, where am I at? Maybe I'm really struggling with this self thing. I am too. We can have confidence that we can have the same mind that was in Christ because he's the one at work in us, Philippians 1 and Philippians 2. It needs to be less of me and more of him. You know, there's some things in our life 
and only you can answer this, that we just hold on to, that we trip over. The question this morning is, whatever that is in your life, are you willing to give it to them? Maybe you say, I do. And you're like me, yeah, we do over and over again. That's right, Lord, here I am again. This again, <laughs> giving it to you again. That's what God calls us to. That's part of the process. Not trying to do this on our own. This is another good one. Trying to do it on my own all the time, right? Question this morning, are there people in your life that you can partner with in this walk? God calls us to do that. If you don't have anybody, we need to find somebody for you. And if you do, you value that. Pray that God would bless that. Try to be that for others. Let's pray this morning. Dear Lord, you know us better than we know ourselves. We thank you for the promises of good. We thank you that you're able to work it out of our lives despite us. And while we resent or wish things were different sometimes, our circumstances, we pray that you give us the faith that your spirit would be at work in our hearts, that we would rest in you, that you would continue to reveal to us and show us your good, your work, your peace, even as you work out these aspects in our life, your will in our life. And so, Lord, we just pray that your will would be done. We pray that your work would be accomplished. We pray that you would help us, that your spirit would remind us of these things that we would let go of and look to you, that you would work them out in our hearts, that we'd be encouraged and that we'd look to encourage those around us. And the best way we know how, we just humble ourselves before you as your servants, as your family, as your people and ask you to be honored in some way by our hearts and lives this morning, we pray in your son's name. Amen.